Shavi, do you know why I enjoy watching Carlos Alcaraz so much? The forehand? The entertainment? The speed? All those things are great, but it's the Juan Carlos camera time I value the most. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are a high school and college gal duo and two tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Welcome to another episode of Hold On To Your Racket, and I have actually not been in the podcast in quite a bit, as you can see by my little stumble there, but um, yeah, it's been like three weeks since I recorded an episode. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I had like a replacement... Probably not an adequate one last time, but... (laughs) We love you, Miller. Yeah, thanks for doing that, but I'm back, so... We heart you. It's it's my time (laughs) to shine. Again. So, we have a lot to talk about because the U.S. Open is coming to a close, and it is, in fact, still our favorite Grand Slam, and every year we just get proved again and again that it should be our favorite Grand Slam. And, yeah, there's just so much to discuss, so let's get into it. Yeah, it also is lovely to have Josephine back on the Zoom screen with me. I'm very happy um, to be talking tennis with her again um, on the podcast, because, of course, we are always talking about tennis off the Zoom, off the record, um, even more unfiltered than on the mic. Um, but as far as hot headlines this tournament, obviously Serena Williams' career finally coming to a close. Just amazing energy in that stadium and those Ash Night sessions with her three singles matches and her and Venus getting to play doubles as well. Um, you could really feel the love that everyone had to give her and celebrate this final, um, these final moments. Um, so she actually took out Danka Kovinic in the first round, and then world number two, Annette Contivate in the second round, until finally, the queen, the real queen, Serena Williams, <laughs> not the other one, um, finally bowed out of the U.S. Open in the third round when she lost to Isla Telmianovic. Shout out to Isla. Fantastic tournament. She's seeming to really find her footing in these later stages of Grand Slams now. We saw her do really well at Wimbledon last year. Um, but awesome for her reaching the quarterfinals. Um, but Serena lost to her 5-7-7-6-1-6. So definitely put up a fight. But it was her last match. Yeah. And, like, there was just so many great quotes from her. Because, obviously, she's going to leave us with something to think about. Because that's what she does. She's just so well-spoken and just ah she's so amazing but um for example uh it's been the most incredible ride and journey I've ever been on in my life I'm so grateful to every single person that's ever said go Serena in their life that was sweet because it's obviously an ode to the fans and then this one 
had everyone in tears, man. Like, Wait, I was crying after I saw this. Like, this was... Yeah, I'm just making a lot of weird noises because I don't know how to express how much respect we have for this woman. But, um... I wouldn't be Serena if there wasn't Venus, so thank you, Venus. She's the only reason that Serena Williams ever existed. So, just let that sink in for a moment. I'm not going to shut up because I can't have dead air on the podcast, but just let that <laughs> sink in. It's I felt like we saw that in the King Richard movie, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, kind of that yeah. quote being exemplified, and we felt that. But then, like, hearing it and, and seeing, like, just in this moment, like, like it's real. it was, like, this is real. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and it was just lovely. I think we kind of said our goodbyes in our that other episode where we talked about this. So I don't want to dwell on it too much because then it's just going to make me more sad. Yeah. But I think it's important to note that she's also, like, you can tell that she's also excited for what's to come. Obviously, leaving tennis is, you know, that's that's difficult, and we're all going to miss her. I don't think there's anyone quite like her. Undisputed GOAT, um, you know, the way that she, you know, entertained, the way that she played and competed, broke barriers, fought for the change, like, she did it all. Um, and it's hard to imagine an era of tennis without her. Yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense. Like, she defined the era. That's the point, I guess. Exactly. But I think, you know, as she saliently noted, she's technically still pretty young. Like, she Mm -hmm. has a lot left to do with her venture capital company, her fashion um, business, uh, being a mom. She talked about her spiritual life. So, honestly, I'm excited to see what's next um, because she's, like, she's, Serena freaking Williams. She's not just gonna, like, chillax now. She's gonna keep doing cool things. Yeah. I feel like she wouldn't be the type to come back and be, like, a reporter, though. I feel like she wouldn't do that. No. She's not the type. No, I don't, she, yeah. She, like, I forges agree. her own path. That's just what she does. Yes. So. Yes. So, our next hot headline is definitely just a different genre of news but definitely very unfortunate so fiona farrow the french wta player she recently came out with her story of being sexually assaulted by her former tennis coach pierre botier but um just in general like if you get triggered by this or like need to skip forward in the podcast I guess right now would be the time but she said this assault took place during the period of 2012 through 2015 and this is when he was her private coach and she was just a teenager yeah um she came out with the accusations on her social media saying quote I did not consent in French um and I have full confidence in the justice system of my country and confirmed that I do not wish to make any other statement on the criminal investigation. The French Tennis Federation also released a statement standing in solidarity with her and expressing their support as did the WTA. Um the WTA said we applaud Fiona for having the courage to come forward with these allegations. We are pleased to see a full investigation and legal process being pursued. Just as a reminder, we've had a couple of um these sort of things come to surface on the WTA set already this year. Um, we had an American player 
come out, and there was a story in the New York Times about how she was sexually assaulted by one of her coaches at the USTA National Campus. Um, and then there was also, obviously, the Pam Shriver story, which we discussed in depth as well. Um, so this further from Fiona, since she's an active player on the tour, prompted a discussion about safeguarding. And Victoria Azarenka, as we know, um, on the WTA Player Council, often speaks, out, speaks about these sort of issues, um, said in her press conference, you won't hear about those stories unless those players come out and tell those stories. Our job, as in the player council, leaders of the tour, um, is to be better at safeguarding. As player council, it's almost like number one subject to us because we see those vulnerable young ladies that get taken advantage of in different situations. And specifically for Fiona, she said, I applaud her for being brave. It's the topic that has to come out more. So um, great words of both support there and also kind of, uh, stressing the need for more um, advocacy on this end um, because as I was saying now this is now the third that I can recall off the top of my head that I've heard on the WTA side um, or women's tennis side already this year yeah and then that's of course not including the ATP allegations which there are quite a few but I guess the point is that just yes these are unfortunate topics to bring up especially when you want to keep tennis looking like a positive sport like completely good and just focusing on everything that it brings like positively into the world but you have to face the reality of what goes on behind the scenes or else these issues will keep on taking place if nobody puts a spotlight on them because it's when you focus on it that it can finally people start to realize like oh like changes need to be made so that this doesn't happen so often because this is very wrong so it's just like there's definitely been a kind of erasure throughout tennis history of just not telling these sides of the story All right, so now we're going to go into a little bit of a preview for this weekend. Um, we've obviously got the women's singles and men's singles finals coming up. So starting on the WTA side, or the women's side, we should say, um, we have a final between Ange Jabour and Ika Swiatek, the two women leading the WTA race right now. So the two most informed women of the year in the last Grand Slam of the year. Couldn't ask for anything better, honestly. Um, let's talk about Ons Jabour first. So she defeated Caroline Garcia, 6-1-6-3 in the semis. And let's first give Caroline Garcia a shout-out because I mentioned in our U.S. Open preview episode that I would not be surprised if at the end of these two weeks we see Caroline Garcia holding up the trophy. I wasn't too far off um, because she's been having an insane past few months. Yep. She has won three titles this year, one on each surface, and she came from qualifying to win Cincinnati. And then she reached the semifinals here and took out uh, Coco Goff in the quarters, who's into the top 10 now as well. So amazing news on that end. And then Caroline Garcia is now back into the top 10. But just 
an amazing year from her in general. And, I mean, we still have the indoor season coming up, so we can definitely expect more from her then. But the other, um, well, now the finalist, I suppose, that was in this match, Ange Jabour, she has made back-to-back slam finals. Um, she's been absolutely killing it this year. And she said, I hope I'm getting used to it, you know, just happy the fact that I backed up the results in Wimbledon and people are not really surprised I'm in the finals, but just going and going and just doing my thing. And she has been doing her thing because we have loved her from the start. And now she's, you know, she's making it in the big leagues, so. Yeah. Um, a pretty tough draw, I'd say, taking, taking out Shelby Rogers, Kudermatova, Tomljanovic, and then um, Garcia and Root, those last two players, really in form. Um, she's obviously, you know, continuing to, you know, make a change and be a trailblazer. Um, so she will be the first Arab and first African woman to reach the U.S. Open singles final, which is amazing. Um and I mean, I think that's enough said. We've talked so much about how much she's doing um, as a trailblazer in the sport for um, the Arab world, for the African continent in terms of she's talked a lot about inspiring girls there. So I think that's amazing. Obviously, girls and everyone, but um, she's going to rise to number two in the rankings, which is quite fantastic. So not just in the race, but in the rankings as well. So good things keep coming for her. She got to meet her idol, Andy Roddick, a few days ago as well. Um, so she's honestly vibing, having a good time. And I like what she said about, like, happy that, you know, she backed up those results and hopefully this is becoming a regular thing. We kind of saw Casper Ruud say something similar, which we're going to talk about in just a bit. Um, but nice to see that. But going into the final, I just hope we don't see a repeat of what happened at Wimbledon. I mean, she took the first set amazing, but then it did seem like the nerves started to come through. But so far, I've been so impressed with Jabour because she has shown kind of growth from that, I think. There's no more of those slow starts. There's no more of those, like, like starting great and then sagging and, you know, stretching into a third set. Um, so she's really showing a lot of poise under pressure, which I think is a good change and something that I'll be interested to see how that fares against someone like Shuyatek in a stage that is a Grand Slam final. Mm-hmm, for sure. So then the other finalist is Iga Shuyatek. A little bit unsurprising at this point, but she defeated Arena Sabalenka, 3-6-6-1-6-4. But let's talk about Arena for a second. Very impressed that she was able to back up her 2021 semifinal run because I feel like we were definitely not expecting it. I feel like I have not seen her in like a no. year <laughs> but she took out uh danielle collins and plishkova on the way there so two like top form players so not bad from her um and then we have iga Sviatek, the world number one showing that she is in fact the world number one we were definitely worried about her for a second there because going into this tournament she was looking obviously she has had amazing results throughout the year but just like we were a little bit worried because she had some rocky like clay season matches and we're you know but anyways she is looking amazing here this is her second slam final of the year after the french open of course which she won and Shvaltek is at 50 to 12 
at Grand Slams. And she has had some slow starts lately. A bit of the... I actually watched this match, but I hated it because I thought she was going to lose. And I was like, why am I here? But she um, played the round of 16 match against Julie Niemer. And that was... Yeah, that was a lot. That was stressful. I don't know if I, I was do scared that again. <laughs> when I when I saw her lose the first set. I was like, "Are we about to have a random slam winner again?" Because I was like, "What if Niemeyer takes the whole thing? Like, this could happen right now." But she saved herself. Um, I mean, yes, you were talking about this before. It's kind of funny. We were kind of worried about Ika going into the slam when Miller and I were talking in the preview episode. We did not have any expectations for her to go beyond the quarterfinal just based on her performance leading up to it. Um, Carlos was kind of in that rut as well, but they both seem to be doing fine, showing up when it's necessary. I think the most impressive win was her, actually, well, Sabalenka, of course. That was insane. Lots of ups and downs of that match. Really, like, turn on the heat when it was needed most. But she took out Jessica Pagula in the quarters and straight sets right before that. So happy for Pagula reaching there. Um, she's actually, you know, pretty much only lost to Shriantek at the Slam so far this year, um, with the exception of maybe one tournament, but she did say something like that in her presser. Um, and <laughs> what was funny is that Shriantek, in her, obviously she lost that first set to Sabalenka in their semi-match, and she mentioned in her post-match interview, she was asked about the bathroom break. She took a bathroom break out of the first set. And after that, won the next two. In fact, won the second set 6-1. So something definitely felt better after that. She said in her post-match interview that she felt, quote, lighter after the bathroom break. And that that helped her. (laughs) And then afterwards, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Maybe that was a little bit disgusting. But I thought it was funny. Um, We need that relatability because we all go through it. We cannot lie about these things. Yes. She's also going to be the first Polish woman to reach the U.S. Open Finals, so history being made on both sides. But, I mean, looking at the Ajubor-Shiatek final, it is so exciting to see a matchup, again, of the two hands-down most informed players on the tour right now, of the year. Yeah, this is definitely going to be very exciting. I feel like this is kind of the thing that everyone has been waiting for from women's tennis this year for, like, the past two or three years. But, like, these are the players of the WTA right now. And we are getting a head-to-head Grand Slam final. So it's going to be very exciting. And as we talked about before, like, as for the actual, like, match tennis rather than big picture, um, Sviatek has been having some slow starts, like, a couple of times here at the U.S. Open, which have been concerning. Of course, she picks it up later. But she has that incredible ability to take her level up like 12 notches at finals. And we've seen this before that she just like absolutely wipes out her opponent straight sets. And I think we can expect that from her again. The only issue is that she has Ons on the other side of the net. And Ons has been super consistent. But honestly is still a wild card because of how she performed in the Wimbledon finals. So there are a lot of questions up in the air, and I guess only time will tell. But we'll just give our predictions for now because that's all we have the power to do. And I'm going to say Iga in three. 
Yeah, my heart wants to stay on. I am rooting for her, but Wimbledon made me a little bit nervous. I do think, as I was saying before, Jabour has mentally matured a lot since then. Like, I think this will be a tougher contest. And again, Swiatek, like, you know, Sabalenka was bringing it and she could handle it. But again, when an opponent is tough, it is going to get tough. Um, so honestly, I still think I agree with you, Iga and three. Um, but this is like such a feel-good match. I'm so excited for it. I think it'll be really high quality. Um, I would love for it to see three sets of it. Um, and I don't know. I'm just really excited because they're both two very deserving um, women to be in this position right now. All right, let's talk on the men's side. We have quite an interesting lineup. First, we've got Mr. Unproblematic, adorable, sweet, good at tennis, solid, lovable, cute, handsome, beautiful, kind king of Norway, Casper yeah. Rude. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up. That is, in fact, how we feel about Casper Rude. He is just, yeah, he is Casper Rude. Anyways, he defeated Karen Kachanov 7-6-6-2-5-7-6-2 in the semifinals in order to mm-hmm. make it to the U.S. Open finals. But let's talk about Karen for a second. Um, he defeated Nick Kyrgios in the quarterfinals, 7-5-4-6-7-5-6-7-6-4. This was a huge win. Whoa! Because Nick had just taken out Daniil Medvedev, the first seed and reigning champion, was a very sad moment for tennis but um yeah i'm just gonna bring it up again uh nick keeps getting hype and he's still a horrible person and he proved this by completely destroying multiple rackets literally the second the match ended like karen is over there on the other side of the court trying to like say hi to arthur ash and be like hey guys like Yay, I won. And then this guy's on the other side of the net, smashing, destroying rackets. Even Karen said, I saw rackets flying everywhere. And I'm like, you shouldn't feel that way, man. Sportsmanship is a thing. Not being violent is a thing. And not acting on all of your impulses is a very decent human being thing to do. And Nick continues to be a hero of the sport. And I cannot begin to understand why Mm, toxic masculinity if you will but um anyway let's talk about karen again uh the point for casper to win the first set against karen was 55 shots long i'm not sure if that's some sort of record i didn't find that but it's 55 shots like that is more than a minute of tennis and that is just one point which is insane like, that, that is a crazy amount of tennis. Anyway, still amazing from Karen. This is his best Grand Slam result so far. And I don't know. Happy to see him succeeding. I feel like he started the year kind of rough. And then he kind of found his groove a little bit in the middle. Actually, I'm not sure. I am definitely making that up. But glad to see him doing well anyways. Yes, um, Castor Rude, I mean, obviously I was mentioning this when we were talking about Jabor seeing, like, you know, backing up 
and a grand slam final debut um and feeling like okay like i can do this um he said after roland garros i was of course extremely happy but also humble enough to think that this could be my only final of my career so his hum humility is something that i've always loved so much it's definitely a scandinavian thing i feel like he's just so kind and i saw a tweet the like a couple hours ago that was basically like Casper Ruud is the perfect example of if you work hard, if you have discipline, if the good sportsmanship are kind, are humble, the results will come. And um, I'm really happy for him. He didn't play the Australian Open this year, but 13-2 win-loss at the Grand Slams this year. Um, obviously, that amazing run at the French Open and now here um, goes to show that. We saw last year in the post-U.S. sort of US Open swing him having such success on those hard courts, those hard court tournaments, and that was like, yeah, he's not just a clay specialist, like, that's, you know, that's some um, BS, but he, you know, started to show how solid he can be, that he has what it takes, and, you know, this Grand Slam final will now be the battle for world number one, um, between Cass Rude and Carlos Alcaraz, which is absolutely bonkers to think about i am so excited about the idea that we are moving into a new era of tennis on the men's side slowly but surely it's kind of funny how josephina and i since starting this podcast have basically been witnessing that um we started it <laughs> yeah we, we were the it. impetus yeah um so i'm super excited about that i think it's about time we see people shake things up um, and also, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is going to happen anyway, but if Rude wins the U.S. Open, he will officially qualify for the ATP Finals. So this is a big moment for him, and I'm excited to see how he rises against the occasion against someone who is a much more flashy opponent, someone younger, I mean, Casper is young also, but younger, energy, a bit more of like a showman, um... So, compared to Casper, who's, like, a sweet, nice guy, you just want to give a hug. Um, different vibes, for sure, but really um, representative of kind of what's next for tennis. Also, what tennis should be, in my opinion. Facts. No more Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, exactly. We need Nick Kyrgios erasure. Um, anyways, the other um, finalist at the U.S. Open of 2022 is Carlos Alcaraz as of literally, like, six minutes ago. And he just defeated Francis Tiafo. Oh, my God. What was the score? I don't have it on me, but we will get back to you on that. But We will get back to you in five, four, four three, three, two, two one. 6-7, 6-3, 6-1, 6-7, 6-3. hours and 19 minutes. And, yeah, Francis saved match point in the fourth set. And it definitely could have been a shorter match. But, you know, Carlos, he likes to stay out there as long as possible. He likes to entertain, you know. Oh, I was going to say he likes staying up past his curfew. But, yeah. That's that, true, that too. Goes, that goes for truth, too. That's not English. Anyways, let's talk about Carlos for a second. Carlos has been killing it. So, Carlos defeated Yannick Sinner in... What was definitely the match of the tournament, and I'm going to include... Match of the year, potentially. Yeah, true. Match of the decade. No, probably not. Anyways, um, I'm going to include a quote here by uh, 
some guy I like to call Juan Carlos Ferrero, who is haughty, sexy, he is coach. Carlos Alcaraz's coach, and <laughs> it's one of my favorite people in the tennis world right now for so many reasons. Yeah, for a lot of reasons, he is. He is. I love it when the camera Hot. pans to him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, he said they are going to be two of the biggest players in the next 10 years with due respect to those that are there. They're at a very, very high level. And, of course, this is a statement that everybody has been saying, but I needed to include it so that we could talk about Juan Carlos Ferrero for a second. As you should. Thank you. So, let's talk about the score. 6-3-6-7-6-7-7-5-6-3, an insane scoreline, and the latest finish in tournament history, as in the U.S. Open, hitting 2.50 a.m., and the second longest match in U.S. Open history at 5 hours and 15 minutes. And they just, like, the incredibly high level of tennis that they maintain throughout the match was just unimaginable. Like, it's it's just not something that happens so often. Like, usually these matches, like, towards the fourth set, the players get tired, the level drops a bit, and it's like, uh, okay, we're still going, we're still going. And then the fifth set, things might pick up again a little bit. But they kept on going, and that's what made this match so interesting and so worthwhile and just truly the match of a lifetime and like i said way past their bedtimes but sometimes it pays off um as i said before this is a battle for world number one in this final carlos alcaraz versus casper rude we already saw last year the dawn of an era of a non-big four world number one with daniel medvedev at the u.s open right did he take it at the u.s open i feel like he did and was he year end uh, I don't know. I forgot. But anyway, about a year or so later, yet another sign of this like new era coming in. Um, Daniel had the number one this year. Yeah, he got it this year, like recently, actually. Uh, okay, whatever. Regardless of what when it was, U.S. Open last year was still kind of like that, like knocking Djokovic out of a Grand Slam final. If you're not a member of the Big Three. Like, that was, like, kind of one inroad. And then one year later, we're here in this situation. So kind of really showing how we're each year getting, um, seeing the tour evolve more and more. Um, Carlos would be the youngest ever on the ATP side to be world number one. Has already qualified for Nito. Um, so this is insane. Um, and we're super excited for him. This is two players, again, very different vibes. We really like both of them. Um, so... I mean, that's going to be fun. do want to give a shout-out to Francis Tiafo though. Like, what an insane run. I mean, making the semifinals here. Long time coming. Took out Diego Schwartzman early on. Then took down Rafael Nadal, um, which I don't think we got the chance to fully talk about. But, yeah, that happened. Um, and then Andre Rublev in straight sets to make it to the semis. And this is a whole new level of poise and consistent mentality we've seen from him especially at the slam best of five level like that's a lot um and it's kind of like all the pieces were there they finally added up this time Mm-hmm. for sure and then just like to highlight his background and story a little bit because he did talk about it a little bit in uh presser 
but the U.S. Open kind of did a post just highlighting it, and I thought it was pretty cool. So he spoke about the fact that he is a son of immigrants from Sierra Leone, and his father was a janitor and given a spare tennis center office to live and work in. His first coach paid for his tournament entry fees, and he turned pro in 2015, and he reached the U.S. Open semifinals at his 26th Grand Slam. So he is definitely, like, the example, like, honestly, he was the complete opposite, I feel, of his opponent tonight, Carlos Alcaraz, who kind of, like, as soon as he came onto the scene, like, he made his way up the ranks, like, pretty fast everything happened pretty suddenly for him and then Francis Tiafo he's been sitting there like working his butt off for his entire career and it finally paid off like a few years later but here he is anyways at a semi-final and I feel like he could definitely do this again because last year um he upset Rublev and he's had upsets before I think this is the second time he's beat Rafael Nadal He's just an amazing player, and to see more of him at this level would be amazing. And I really think he could, he has it in him to, to do that. But um, let's talk about the final for a second, though, which is going to be, as we said, Carlos Alcaraz versus Casper Ruud. Very clashing senses of tennis style, with Casper being a calm one, with kind of having a very all around strong game, and then. Carlos has his weapons like his forehand is insane like he just whacks it and it just goes like a bullet <laughs> like I don't it even know places. how to explain it um but it's going to be very exciting hopefully like I feel like every time we've seen Casper in like a good position to win he gets like injured or something like back injury or abdominal I don't know what it's going to be this time, but I hope nothing happens because I really want this to be an interesting final. Um, Yeah. Do we have any predictions for the final? Predictions? I'm having trouble. I'm I'm going to say Carlos. I think it's going to be Carlos. I don't know why. I just feel like he rises to the occasion. Yeah. And it just seems like, exactly, like, I feel I feel like it's meant to happen. I don't know. And I feel like his coach is pretty good, too. <laughs> I know um, Casper gets coached by his dad, and then Alcaraz yeah. gets coached by... A daddy. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's enough. That's it for tonight, guys. Um, good night. A strong note. Good night. Peace out. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the U.S. Open finishes and we move on to the rest of the tennis season. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. <laughs>